Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. Western medicine, allopathic medicine, has a perfect place for acute care. When you have a broken bone or you're having a heart attack, you need surgery, there's no better place. But these chronic gray area conditions, you're just not in the right place. And so this puts so much incumbent on the person to educate themselves and to work with people who are trained in root cause medicine. Hello, this is Dr. Deva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I'm joined with Palmer Capola. She is a best-selling author, speaker, and functional medicine certified health coach who specializes in helping people reverse and prevent autoimmune conditions. She developed a framework called FIGHTS, which stands for Food, Infections, Gut Health, Hormone Balance, Toxins, and Stress, to help others beat autoimmune conditions based on her two-decade battle to overcome multiple sclerosis. Her book is Beat Autoimmune, The Six Keys to Reverse Your Condition and Reclaim Your Health, with a forward by functional medicine pioneer, Dr. Mark Hyman. In it, she shares the science, stories, and strategies to help people heal and thrive. Today, she provides total health transformation programs for people who seek to heal from any autoimmune condition by addressing their root cause head-on with functional lab testing and comprehensive mind-body strategies. She also serves as a community of people in an online program called Beat Autoimmune Academy. Palmer, welcome. How are you today? It's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Nagula. I am doing really well. Thank you. You know, I am looking forward to this and it's really going to be a pleasure to chat with you further on this show um, and share stories about our healing journeys. And I would love to start off by if you could just Give us some information about what you went through. I mean, two decades 
of battling multiple sclerosis before you finally found you know, the information and the best way to heal yourself. So please tell us your story. I will, absolutely. And I have to take you back a little bit in time because I was diagnosed with MS at 19. And back then in the mid 80s, there was no internet. There was no book. Uh, there was no functional medicine that I knew about. And I was just a happy, healthy, you know, teenager home from college after my freshman year, and the future looked really bright. But one day I woke up and the soles of my feet were all tingly, that feeling like you get when you've slept on a limb and then the blood flows back and it's all tingly. Only this particular morning, the blood didn't flow back and the tingling persisted. And I went off to work in a summer job. And um, by the time the tingling reached my knees, I knew something was really wrong. So I called my parents who called the family doctor who said, get her to the neurologist at UCLA today. So that's what we did. And it was a quick exam. I mean, five minutes. She had me walk heel toe across her room. And by this time, the tingling had reached just underneath my collarbones. Um, it was really unsettling. Um, and after a couple minutes, she said with a lot of authority, I am 99% sure that you have MS, multiple sclerosis. And if I'm right, there's nothing you can do except take medication. So we had never heard of MS. Now remember, this is the mid-80s, and this is consistent with our understanding of autoimmunity. It was just barely known about. You know, 50 years ago, hardly anybody had heard of these things. And today it's just at epidemic proportion. So people are familiar with this, the most common ones being MS, rheumatoid arthritis, Hashimoto's, lupus, et cetera. But at the time, we were just terrified. We had no information and very little hope, and we were just told to go home and wait. So that's what we did. And that night, my mom crawled into bed with me, and she was crying. But by this time, all the tingling in my body that had reached under my neck had gone completely numb. And so I would stay enshrouded in numbness for a full six weeks. And that was just, you know, an, an awful and terrifying time. I'm very, very grateful that my family was with me. And I'll just, you know, shortcut to some of the highlights of that summer. Um, you know, friends came by and visited that weren't too scared off. And this one family friend that was into things metaphysical came and she asked me a question that I didn't realize for years was actually a gift. And she said to me, Palmer, why do you think you got the MS? And I was just struck. I was taken aback. What do you mean? Why do I think I got the MS? Are you implying that I, I did something to cause this? And I didn't have anywhere to go. I am lying on the couch, numb from the neck down and chewing on that question like a dog with a bone. And it came to me as a flash of insight. And I need to take you back a little bit more in time because I had been adopted by very loving parents, but my dad had been a fighter pilot and his way was usually the right way. And we butted heads quite a bit. So as I'm lying on the couch at age 19, chewing on that question, why do I think I got the MS? It occurred to me as this flash, one of my earliest memories was my dad is yelling at my mom who's locked herself in the bedroom and she's crying and he's calling her names. And I didn't like that one single bit. So I am seeing myself age three or four with my little dukes up, looking up at my dad, you call my mom names and I'll sock your lights out or whatever a three-year-old 
little child warrior might yell back at her father. And I realized that I had become this hyper-vigilant little child warrior. And I had no inkling about the immune system, but I viewed that if my immune system didn't have a real battle to wage, that it was going to fight myself, that autoimmune attack, the self-attack. So that initial hypothesis that chronic stress, that always on hypervigilance was my biggest root cause, still rings true for me today, even though I know there's much more to the story. So after that, that insight, I realized that if I wanted to do something about the MS, then I was going to have to face the stress head on. I'm, I'm super lucky that the MS was relapsing remitting, which means the numbness retreated in time for me to go back to college for my sophomore year. And off then I went on that 20-year course of, of the MS and the six visits to the neurologist and so forth. But my dad, the fighter pilot, was also a super motivational guy who would tell me, honey, you can beat this thing. You can beat this thing. I believe in you, which is where I get the title for the book. But I didn't know what I was going to do. So I just conducted all of these experiments over the years. The obvious ones to start with was stress reduction. So the yoga, the meditation. And I noticed that when I was relaxed, I had fewer MS symptoms. And by contrast, when I was stressed out, whether it was exams at school, conflict at home, or whatever that was, I would notice almost immediately the advent of new symptoms or the worsening of existing ones. So it would take a full two decades until I actually found functional medicine to discover my my, I would call it my um, linchpin trigger being gluten sensitivity. So by finding the gluten sensitivity, healing my gut, I was completely free of symptoms after November of 2010. Uh, obviously, this is always multifactorial. So for me, the chronic stress, the gluten, later I found the casein sensitivity. I had a mouthful of mercury, mercury amalgam. So there, there's many, many layers to the story, but for, for brevity, the big root causes were the chronic stress, the gluten, and I'm free and never better in my entire life. Wow, it's incredible. And I'm just curious, like, how did you find out that these causes, the gluten, the stress, were causative or correlative in, with your symptoms? So, the, the stress and relaxation thing was really obvious. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the more I relaxed, the fewer symptoms I had. And that was, that just became striking to me when I would observe that I actually did the breath work and the meditation practices and I calmed down. Um, by contrast, I was working in a corporate job. And I remember this time coming back from the super relaxing Caribbean vacation. And I walked into the office and as soon as I got under the, the fluorescent blinding lights, I was literally struck blind in one eye and had the searing pain of optic neuritis that took three trips to an emergency room to figure out what was actually going on as a hallmark symptom of MS. So, so that became obvious to me that there was something to this relaxation thing and I should do more of mm -hmm. that. You know, the relaxation response we know now is the only place where healing happens. And I was just revved up all the time. So that was my, my biggest thing. But um, the other thing about food, 
I tried so many different diets over the years. And the first one being the Swank diet, because that's all the library had in the mid 80s was the Swank MS diet book that purported low fat, high vegetable, high fiber grain diet was best for MS. But when I tried it, not only did I not notice an improvement in symptoms, I noticed a worsening of tummy trouble. And Dr. Nagula, I'm a lucky one in that I had gut symptoms. Many people that have gluten sensitivity don't feel it in their gut, so they have no way of putting it together. You might have joint pain, you might have numbness and tingling, you might have swelling someplace in your body or migraines and not know that you have this gluten sensitivity. So that was a clue for me to get myself finally to you know, a nutritionist. And that's when I found this functional medicine nutritionist who taught me about root causes. And that was way later in the stage, right? Like 15 plus years after you were diagnosed before you determined that, you know, there could be something with diet that could be influencing the multiple sclerosis. Well, um, I didn't get the answer I was looking for until more than two decades later. But as soon as I got off that couch, I intuited that diet must have something to do with this. And I started asking questions, but I wasn't getting any answers. So this is also a big conundrum for people because you trust your doctor. You know, you go to the neurologist and you say, all right, you know, I get that I have lesions. And so what do you recommend that I eat? And they say, I don't know, or diet has nothing to do with this. I hear this still from clients today. And I would do my research and I would ask, what about omega-3 fatty acids? What about salmon? Should I have more salmon? We don't know enough. So the best you can do, I literally was told, don't drink so much and don't smoke. Well, I didn't drink that much and I never smoked. So, you know, that it's, and this is where it's, your story is so inspirational and meaningful in that you are a medical doctor, an osteopathic physician. And so you came from this Western world, but you now know the experience that, you know, you know that food heals. But as a medical doctor, were you taught about nutrition? Because all of the questions I asked over the years, nobody could tell me what it is that I could do. And that's where the patient becomes the detective and has to figure this stuff out. Thankfully, we now have people who've been down this path. We've got the internet and there's a, a plethora of information for people who are seeking to heal. But at the time, it was just, you know, guessing and trial and error. Yeah. And I can, I can actually answer some of those questions that's in terms of whether or not nutrition was taught to us in med school. And unfortunately, when I was in school, that was never even something that was broached as part of our curriculum. And even now, if I am correct, there might be a one or two credit hours that might be offered, um, which is like a seven to 14 day, you know, intro course, um, if that even, and it depends on the school um, and whether it's an allopathic institution or osteopathic institution. So, no, I mean, it's not enough. And it's, it's really disappointing. And I had the same information that was conveyed to me when I asked my oncologist, what should I eat? And what should I put into my body? And what should I omit? 
And the physician, I recall its exact words, was saying to me, is like, I've had people who've changed their diet dramatically, and I've had people who have stayed in the same diet, and there were really no consistent changes with their, with their course. And so I, you know, when he told me that I, this was right when I was starting to do my own research and this was before I knew anything about functional medicine or integrative medicine. And so my research said otherwise, because I had really gotten into the depth of organic foods and and GMO foods and also the effects of gluten and things like that. And it really, at that point dawned on me that there was a whole nother side of this that I needed to explore for my own my own self and my own well-being, and then hopefully being able to pass this information to other people. And so like you exactly, you know, I was a person who I feel came into this world in fight or flight. And so when I was born, it was a stressful birth. And I think I remained in fight or flight and I never really got out of fight or flight until recently. And um, it was the combination of probably a lot of being myself in very much a stressful situation or keeping myself under a lot of duress and being in fight or flight. And then once you're in that situation, it's basically what type of variable do you have to encounter to cause a tipping point? And for me, it could have been a number of things, but I would imagine, you know, dietary things, you know, where I was eating fast food all the time. I wasn't putting anything that was nutritious in my system. And I described this in my book when I was in college and when I was in, when I was working, the only vegetable that I had was a scrap of lettuce that was on my burger. So, you know, that's how devoid my body was of nutrition. And so I I really can definitely relate to what you're saying is about how nutrition and, and how food has a huge potential of healing, but is not taught in our institutions today especially the allopathic and osteopathic institutions. That's right. One, one of the things that I find striking is that Western medicine, allopathic medicine has a perfect place for acute care. When you have a broken bone or you're having a heart attack, you need surgery, there's no better place for you. But I, I tell people, if you want to get your hair cut, you don't go to Home Depot. And that's not to say anything negative about Home Depot. It's a wonderful place if you're building a home. And and yes, you might be able to get garden shears and so forth. But these chronic gray area conditions, you're just not in the right place. And so this puts so much incumbent on the person to educate themselves and to work with people who are trained in root cause medicine. Exactly. Right? Absolutely. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical eBooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support.
The other thing is, is that I'm um, really interested in you probably over two decades were on an enormous amount of medications, right? You probably had your share of steroids or any other medications that you take, or were you basically just able to modulate your symptoms with stress reduction? So that's a great question and a really good assumption. I just have it in me. I'm very resistant to taking medication. I always have been. It's just an instinct. Um, so I resisted for a very long time. And at the time, there were only three primary MS drugs. They called them the ABC drugs, and they were injectables. And I don't, not only don't like medication, I, I really am adverse to needles. So I resisted for a super long time. But this especially persistent neurologist at Stanford insisted that if I did not go on one of these three medications, my life would potentially be shortened and I would surely end up in a wheelchair. So I felt like I was really pressed into deciding to go on one and I did not have a good experience. And I stayed on the medication for about three years and I ended up having heart attack symptoms, which is a known quote unquote side effect of the medication. And it just was, you know, one strike too many. So I, I gave that up thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way and kept seeking natural solutions. Mm -hmm. And how did you manage um, some of the symptoms that a lot of multiple sclerosis patients typically have, whether it was weakness, sensory deficits, um, ambulation deficits, and also what you were describing, you know, you had the optic neuritis and I'm sure you had some other uh, type of symptoms that go along with MS. So did you just... I mean, how did you function without being on these medications and, and, and what was your, uh, your, your treatment for your own well-being? Well, maybe I'm just stubborn, but I, I just forwent the medication and things would come and things would go. I'm fortunate that a lot of my symptoms were not pain-based. The biggest pain was the optic neuritis, which lasted for two weeks. So I'm sure I took, you know, the codeine or whatever I was given to manage that pain, but I really chose not to do the steroids. And instead, like we talked about earlier, I was able to, let's say, manage. I don't use that word anymore. I talk about reversing autoimmunity, but at the time, to manage the symptoms was about the breath work, the meditating, the yoga, the just chilling. When I found that I came down, and really let myself relax and my shoulders come down, I would have less of that tightness, less of the feelings of, you know, a million rubber bands around my torso or that heaviness, like I was walking underwater. Um, sometimes it just took time for it to pass. And at what point during your course of having these symptoms, did you find that the relaxation techniques really helped? Was it immediately or was it somewhere down the road? probably within five years of starting them. So again, remember I was about 19 and I, I started doing yoga within four years. So late 80s, I started doing yoga. And when I did Shavasana, which is the corpse <laughs> pose at the end of a yoga class, it was the hardest pose for me to let go. And I remember having a French yoga teacher who would say in this beautiful voice, let it go. And she would lead us through this relaxation pose. And finally, if I could just let my lower back release into the floor and trust that all was well, I noticed a lessening of symptoms. 
And it was almost immediate that I noticed that. So that was, uh, that was the easiest cause and effect for me to tell was the stress versus relaxation. And again, the other uh, experiment, the food, when I added more whole grains, symptoms got worse. Right. Let's take a little bit of a, a deep dive into, into that aspect of it. So talk to us about how these types of things can aggravate or complicate or even cause some of these autoimmune conditions. Yeah. Well, as I mentioned, I've got a framework called FITES. Um, so it's multifactorial, but food is usually the lowest hanging fruit, if you will. It's usually the best place to start after mindset is addressing the food that we're eating because there is so much science and research that points to the inflammatory basis of a lot of the foods that we eat each and every day. And it turns out that gluten creates a leaky gut in anyone who eats it. And I had been eating gluten since I was a baby. I have a picture of me age two with my arm up to the armpit in a box of Cheerios. And I'm telling you, lunch, dinner, breakfast, I had some form of gluten. And later on, you know, beer might have been involved. So a lot of gluten. I had a lot of dairy. And we know that people who are sensitive to gluten, there's a 70-75% correlation with also having a sensitivity to casein, not the lactose, but the casein, which is an inflammatory protein. And then another food that doesn't get the kind of attention that I feel it should when it comes to autoimmune disorders is sugar. And it turns out we've had the research on this since the mid-1970s that sugar can block your immune system from functioning for up to five hours after eating it. So if you've got an autoimmune condition, which is an immune system problem, it's not a body part problem, contrary to popular belief, and you're still eating sugar, you don't have the full functioning of your immune system, which I would contend you really would want. So sugar, gluten, dairy tend to be some of the biggest obstacles to healing. And I find that when people remove those as a starting point, a lot of freedom from symptoms starts to happen. And it can be almost impossible to understand the connection between the foods that you're eating and your symptoms and how you feel. But we know that leaky gut is the pathway to autoimmune problems. And we know these foods are damaging, they're inflammatory, and they in fact penetrate or open those tight junctions in the gut. And that's the starting point. So if you continue to eat those foods, I would also contend that you're probably going to continue having those symptoms until you remove them and heal your gut. Mm -hmm. And you were describing that you determined for your own uh, uh, well-being was that when you removed gluten, it was a major change. And then you were also noticeably having symptoms after the consumption of gluten. So you were having, you know, uh, some issues with your GI system that it's pretty much evident that you can correlate that with, with the gluten. And as you mentioned early on that a lot of people don't have that type of correlation immediately. You know, usually, you know, a lot of people uh, can associate gluten sensitivity or symptoms with things like, you know, brain fog or joint pain or, you know, even GI issues, but not immediately, you know, it could be something that can be displayed after a couple of hours or even a couple of days. And usually after a couple of days, you have no idea right. at that point whether or not gluten was involved. So it's, it's very important to, uh, to understand that how awful and caustic that gluten can be to a person's system, especially if you have an autoimmune disease. That, that's right. 
That's right. Um, and it's, as you mentioned, it's just so frustrating. It's such a conundrum. You wish that you had a real clear cause and effect on things that when I eat this, I feel that way. And it turns out that we really don't. These are called delayed food sensitivities. It's not IgE, and I think of E as standing for emergency, like the peanut or shellfish allergy, and you get that immediate swelling. No, this is delayed, and it can be delayed for up to four days. So chances are really good that you're not going to put it together, and which is why it's so helpful to go through this process of, and, and maybe you do the same thing, an elimination diet. I call it a 30-day food vacation because I feel like that's a more positive spin on something that has the, the word diet in there to really figure out what your sensitivities are. Because once you take those foods away for about 30 days, sometimes longer, your inflammatory markers come down, your gut can start to heal. And then when you reintroduce that food slowly, one at a time over a 48-hour period, you really will have a much more clear cause and effect than you did before you took it out for a while. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And let's go into more about your, your fights or F-I-G-H-T-S that you've coined and, and Let's go into a little bit more detail of, of what it stands for and, and how you use that for your clients. Great. Well, I was offered a book deal and I had been working with clients and I saw that time and time again, people were healing when they were addressing these common root cause categories. But to put it together in a book, I really wanted to come up with an acronym that people could remember. So I put the words on paper and emerged this word called fights. And I lament that it didn't spell peace, but it was more in line with the, uh, the can-do attitude that my dad fostered in me that I could beat the autoimmunity. So F is food, I, infections, G, gut health, H, hormone balance, T, toxins, S, stress fights. And they all need to be addressed, not just one. So we talked about food as a starting point because this is the highest leverage category where I find that most people get the biggest bang for the buck and heal 60, 80, sometimes 100% of the way just by addressing these foods. But across the board, they all need to be at least explored. So we can take these in any direction you want to go in. Yeah, actually, if we could talk about each category and then maybe offer you know, a solution or two for each. Yeah, sure. So I've talked a bit about food. I, I don't know that, you know, let, let's move on to the next one. And I, I do note this in the book that I don't uh, lay them out as fights is spelled because gut health naturally follows food. So in the category of gut health, we really want to examine what we're consuming, what we're putting into our gut. And I contend that we are treating our guts like garbage disposals. We're just pouring in the toxic foods. We are taking medications, antibiotics for a common cold, you know, sleeping medication, pain medication. All of these things have the potential to harm our guts. So the number one rule of thumb when healing is what you remove. You know, this is not about taking another supplement. It's really about getting honest with yourself about what you're eating um, and how that could be harming your gut. And many of these root causes are actually overlapping because one of the most harmful things that we do to our gut is eat conventionally grown and conventionally raised animals that are eating, you know, sprayed or genetically modified corn, soy, and wheat 
And it turns out we're not just what we eat, we're whatever we eat ate. So if those animals are grazing on foods that have Roundup, glyphosate engineered into them, we're ingesting this into our guts. And there are a lot of studies that show that glyphosate is very, very harmful to human and animal guts. So number one for gut health, remove, remove, remove. And to be really vigilant about what you're putting in your mouth before anything else. And you know, just a, a couple other points on this. Um, we eat so much less fiber than our ancestors did. Back when autoimmunity was rare and unheard of, I think our ancestors were getting something like 150 grams of fiber each and every day. And that would be astonishing for us in modern life. I think we're getting more like five to 15 grams. So slowly over time to ramp our fiber intake is super important to help clear toxins out of our body, to help feed the probiotics. Because our gut flora, if it's not fed prebiotics, otherwise known as fiber, it will start gnawing on the lining of our gut. And that's also harmful. So that would be another way to support your gut health. Shall we move on? Absolutely. Okay. Infections. This is um, the next one in the book. And quite simply, it's not the bug, it's the terrain, as holistic practitioners say. So the idea here is that people with autoimmune issues have a hypometabolic me metabolism, meaning it's low and slow. And a hypometabolic metabolism is really hospitable to infections. So in order to heal, we want to raise our metabolism as we can, and there are things that we can do that are, that are really quite simple um, with deep breathing, maybe cold water immersion, taking cold showers on and off, intermittent fasting, even weightlifting, all of those things as we're able to do them can help move us from this hypometabolic state to a more normal metabolism. And that is a super helpful way to usher these infections out so it's not a nuclear assault on infections that is primary. It's really about making yourself as inhospitable as possible. And the other thing to do is to focus on unburdening your immune system. And we've already talked about a number of these things like removing sugar and starchy carbohydrates and moving more. Another thing is really getting more sleep. I find that a lot of people I work with, women with autoimmune issues, are burning the candle at both ends and they're not getting enough sleep. And we heal at night. This is a restorative time. So do whatever you can to get asleep by 10 o'clock. And a bedtime and being asleep are two different things. So make sure that you get in bed early so that you get at least eight hours of sleep, especially if you're healing from an autoimmune condition. Anything on infections for the moment? No, I was actually, what I was thinking um, when you were talking about sleep, if you could relate sleep deficits with your own personal experience when you were, you know, really in, in the beginning of your stages of MS, I mean, I'm sure you weren't having very good quality sleep, but back then there was really no metrics or way of measuring the quality of sleep that you were getting. So it's interesting. Um, the sleep issues that I've had in my life were as a child, actually, I endured periods of insomnia where this is the hypervigilance that we talked about early on. I was always on scanning the environment for safety. And so I, I didn't shut my eyes at night for fear that 
you know, what if somebody needs me, right? Other than that, I've been trained for my entire life to be a good sleeper and to need a lot of sleep. So I, on average, get between eight and nine hours of sleep. And it's just, it's an absolute priority. And I did not find that, you know, when there were stressful periods, sure, your brain goes into that looping mode. And when you wake up and you can't shut it off, that happened. But by and large, um, I have been a champion sleeper. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, because that's probably one of the most important things to help uh, restore and repair um, your, the body. And so, yeah, if you're in a state, as I was, um, when I was diagnosed with cancer, I wasn't getting much sleep and I was in fight or flight and I was putting the wrong nutrients in my body. So it was just a perfect storm to develop uh, the cancer that I did get. So, mm. but yeah, let's, uh, moving forward, I'd love to like listen to the rest of the FIGHTS acronym and, and learn more about that. Sure. Well, toxins would be next on the list. And this is one of the reasons that people believe that autoimmunity is epidemic, is that we just have so many toxins in our environment today, more than ever before. Um, I've heard Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who wrote The Toxin Solution, say that up to 70% of our toxic load is non-persistent, meaning we can clear it pretty quickly, and that it comes from food. So there are studies that show that an organic diet can quickly reduce the body burden. And they did this with children that were put on, I think it was a paleo organic diet. And, and in like five days, their body burden of toxins dropped by 50%. So this was a really big deal. And a lot of people poo-poo organic diet. Oh, it doesn't matter. It's just more expensive food. But it really is more nutrient dense and it's been shown uh, to, to really help you remove and reduce the toxic load. So when it comes to toxins, I, I like to use the metaphor of a toxin bucket. I think everybody can visualize this, that we have a bucket within us that has some holes at the bottom. And we're supposed to excrete toxins out the bottom. But problems start when we start filling up our bucket with toxic elements that sometimes are from the environment, sometimes it's created inside us from the bacteria and the fungi and things that have byproducts called endotoxins, for example. And sometimes it's the toxic thoughts and the toxic beliefs and even the energy vampires and toxic relationships. Everything adds up. So I think it's super helpful to have this broad view of toxins when you consider why you might have gotten whatever it is that you're dealing with and to do some real you know self-reflection and think about yourself carrying this this bucket and i i talk about this idea that you know the first half of our lives we're filling up that bucket you know i was eating gluten every day and i had my sugar addiction and was doing just fine until i wasn't right so we can do this for a period of time. And I think this is also why autoimmunity strikes women in particular in perimenopause and menopause, these periods of hormone changes, because we've been doing so well for so long, but all of a sudden, as you mentioned, there's something that goes tilt and that's when the bucket spills over. So it could be the foods you're eating that are inflammatory. It could be the imbalanced microbiome. It could be you know, the, the low vitamin D, for example, the chronic stress, the mercury from the amalgams in your mouth, the candida overgrowth, all of this fills the bucket. And then it's our responsibility once things spill over, that's the leaky gut, 
that's when we start having symptoms. It's, it's our responsibility, but also there's an autoimmune equation that shows the healing happens when you remove those toxic elements, those toxic lifestyle factors, and then heal the gut. And that's how we heal. So for the second half of our life, we're, we're busy removing things from the bucket, right? So that's, I, I just like the broad view of toxins like that, because we all have a different set of things that got us where we are, but it's our responsibility to keep those buckets as clean as we possibly can. So that's what I would say about toxins. Mm-hmm. And then moving on to stress. Obviously, we talked a little <sighs> bit about that, but I'm sure um, you might be able to go into a little bit more deeper into stress and some simple solutions for, for how we can combat stress. Yeah, this is really the elephant in the room. Um, and, and we could go on and on about it, but I won't. Um, it's imperative that people consider the the stress that they're under, both from a day-to-day stress perspective, as well as a traumatic stress perspective. So stress and autoimmunity go hand in hand. It's been observed that autoimmune conditions are precipitated by a stressful event, something shocking, perhaps a stress to the symptom like a virus, but it's those smoldering stresses that might start in childhood that are known as adverse childhood experiences or ACEs for short. And Kaiser Permanente and the CDC did a massive study a few decades ago that shows a correlation or causation of chronic stress or trauma in childhood and the advent of autoimmunity even decades later. So it turns out that more than 60% of all of us as adults. And the study they did was really focused on middle and upper middle class Caucasians, which means they did not include a brown and black population. And if you were to do that, the numbers probably greater than 60% of us have experienced some sort of trauma in childhood. We, we can't avoid it. Um, but when they did this survey of more than 17,000 people, they found that if people had experienced one of these traumas, there was a good a good chance that they had experienced two or more. And they also found that when people experienced things like parental neglect or verbal, physical, sexual abuse, or a parent was an alcoholic or incarcerated or, and on and on and on, there are about 10 of these, that their risk factors for chronic disease later in life just went up and kept going up. So if you experience two of these adverse childhood experiences, the chances of getting MS doubled or and, and things go up from there. So it's imperative and, and it's, it's an area that I don't think modern medicine, when you go to your doctor, they don't ask you about your childhood trauma. And I think that's an opportunity. It may be something that's missing now. Maybe they're not trained, but it's so hopeful because there's so much that people can do to address the trauma. Because if you don't, the, the holistic cancer community knows this, but if you don't address that, the issues stay in the tissues, right? So this is where learning about different modalities that can be as easy as breathing or drawing or journaling or confiding in a family member or trusted friend, um, seeing a therapist um, and doing other modalities like EMDR and shaking and there's a whole variety of things, but it's imperative that you look at this 
often neglected area because many people that do everything else right, they have the right diet, they're exercising, they're getting good sleep, but they're neglecting looking at something that they've tucked safely away and yet they're still not healing. That would be an area to explore for sure. Mm-hmm. And in your experience with clients, coupled with your own personal experience, like what would you think you know, first, if we we're going to narrow it down to one elimination or one thing that we're adding as a modality to help aid well-being, what would you really hone in and focus on? So one thing to add and one thing to eliminate, is that what you're... Either or, whichever whichever is the most uh, transformative factor to aid in a person's well-being. You know, the the first thing that came to mind was mindfulness. Wow, okay. It really was because without that present moment awareness, I think our thinking can be one of the most toxic sources of stress that we face. Our thinking is often distorted, and if we can face it head on, admit that we're wrong about something, get curious about why are you feeling the way that you're feeling or having a thought, challenge yourself. Is it true? Is it true? And you know, go down that path. One of the most transformative therapies or modalities for me was a combination of cognitive behavioral therapy coupled with wisdom therapy. And it got me to start looking at distorted thinking. And there's actually a workbook called Mind Over Mood. And I did those exercises. And if I had what's called a hot thought, which was something that, you know, triggered me or or hooked me, I would write it down and examine the thought and start questioning, is that real? And am I 100% sure that it's true? And when I realized that it wasn't true, but I am now spinning, looping with these you know, emotions that are based on something that isn't even true, mm-hmm. that um, was really unhelpful. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, obviously, but um, I would have picked, um, and this is based on my experience personally, as well as experiences of many clients, but probably the elimination of uh, toxic foods and and more introduction of organic-based foods and, and non-GMO uh, diet. Uh, I really think that, in in my opinion, that was a huge transformation for myself and and just understanding um, food sensitivities and what your system doesn't agree with. A lot of times, that can just eliminating those toxic substances can make a difference. And then by introducing more organic whole foods, we're able to, as you've talked about before, to really feed that microbiome. And as you know, the microbiome is, is uh, very important in terms of our neurotransmitter function and serotonin is produced in, in from our microbiome. And so that in itself can, can reduce any anxiety, depression, and calm the nervous system down. So that's for me, that was one thing that I noticed for myself that was a huge change. And I could see myself and my clients and, and any other people. And also, as you were mentioning, the introduction of mindfulness, that's something that I didn't do until later on. So it's, it's all these things that we have to take comprehensively and utilize uh, to really eliminate, to facilitate a better healing process, 
So it's really important for practitioners like myself and you to talk about this um, and the many uh, many ways to, to help people fix their gut and fix their illnesses. And autoimmunity is not just a, a, an issue where we can just say, here's the symptom and here's the, here's the medicine that we can use to fix it. We have to take everything and everyone uh, from a holistic perspective. And that's what functional medicine practitioners and integrative medicine practitioners are all about. Oh, so beautifully said. And you're absolutely right. It's, it's the organic food. It's finding your food sensitivities. Absolutely. A 100% that and 100% taking responsibility for your life and 100% awareness for your role in things and moving from that, you know, why is this happening to me to what if this is happening for me right. as an invitation, Right. So yeah, that's I, what exactly. I, I help teach people, that your symptoms are simply messages from your body letting you know that you have not yet found your root causes and to keep going. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better. For the listeners that are listening today, where can they find you on the internet and where can they find your book? So um, they can find me at palmerkippola.com is my website. I have created, you, you talked about food and we, we spent a good deal of time on it because it is so important and people have difficulty figuring out their best food. So I created something called Your Optimal Food Guide so that you can figure out the best foods for you. It is definitely an individual process, but I guide people through this 30-day food vacation. If you go to palmerkippola.com forward slash gift, you can download that optimal food guide and figure out your best foods. Um, as far as my book goes, it's available everywhere books are sold, I think. Um, pr probably the easiest and fastest way is to go to Amazon, where uh, it's available in paperback, Kindle, and audio formats. It's called Beat, Beat Autoimmune, by the way. Excellent. Well, Palmer, it was a pleasure having you on the show. And uh, thank you for all the information. And I look forward to, to diving into your book myself. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Nagula. It was absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>